have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Nehemiah chapter 6 or in your devices, uh, uh, may want to turn on one of the house lights just to help if you're trying to read along. But so, so we get to chapter 6, and verse 1 starts off this way. When word came to Sambalat, remember that's one of the guys that's been causing problems for the Israelites and for Nehemiah, and, and Tobiah and Geshem, and the rest of our enemies, which we've seen that just kind of grow over the time, that, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left. And, and here's what you expect it to say. Okay, the wall's been rebuilt. That's what they've been fighting all along. Finally, it's done. The wall's rebuilt. The gates aren't in place yet, but that's about to be done as well. And you kind of expected the next thing to say, so they gave up and went home. That's just not the way it happens, is it? And it's not the way it happened here either. You know, you, the whole time it's been the wall, the wall, the wall. We're going to stop you from building that wall. We're going to criticize you. We're going to send false reports. We're going to threaten you. And, and, and the wall's done, and you're thinking, okay, so now they'll quit. Now they'll stop. Finally, we're to, to the end. And, uh, but that's just not the case. That's not the way it happens lots of times. Uh, but before we actually dig into this chapter, I, I, we didn't finish chapter 5, so let me go back a little bit and, and kind of uh, uh, revisit. Uh, you know, last week when we looked, the passage we looked at, you know, all these different threatening things have happened to, that uh, as, as this, this criticism, all the things that try to stop them from rebuilding the wall, but probably the worst, the hardest, was what we looked at together, and that's when the conflict came within the family. Uh, as Jew was angry at Jew, as Israelite was angry at Israelite, as, as they had suddenly there were, there were angry people and they're in the family and they're fighting with each other. And, and remember, we looked, it was loud and large, what, one of the words we looked at that made it clear. It, this was not a pretty picture. It was ugly. And, and of all the threats, this is the one that threatened, I think, probably to finish it off. When, when, you, can't, when you can't get the team together, how are you ever going to win? How are you ever going to get it done? And so this is a scary, scary time for them. And, and you remember what we, we watched, and, and, and I would encourage you, if you didn't get a chance, so there's just some really, really great principles about managing conflict that came up in, in chapter 5. And, but here's, here's some of the things. We, we watched uh, Nehemiah carefully listen to, to the different voices that, that were that were angry and, and listen and, and hear and, and listen with uh, ears that said, okay, Let's make sure we get to the bottom of what's really going on. Because often that's not what it is when the initial confrontation comes up. It's often something else. And, and if we don't love them enough and if we aren't careful enough to be willing to take the time to get to the source, we might make a mistake and try to fix the wrong thing. And, and Nehemiah just did that masterfully. He, he was very, very careful to listen and, and, and hear the different complaints and and, and uh, find out what was going on. And actually it came down, remember in the end, it came down to the leadership. The nobles, the, the leaders of their people were, were misusing their power, were, were being inconsiderate and insensitive to what was going on in the lives of the people that they were supposed to be serving. <coughs> they were taxing them uh, uh, and, and really high rates of interest. And, and the result was, and the, the country's in a famine, which just added to the matter, but so, so, the, so their own fellow Jews were having to sell their property, first of all, to try to pay their taxes. And then when the property was gone, it actually got to the point where they were now selling their children into slavery to, to pay that tax bill. And, and so once, once Nehemiah got to the bottom of what was going on, uh, one of the things he did that he also did well was he went to the problem. He didn't talk about it to everybody else. 
he, he actually went to the nobles, the leaders, and said, okay, what you're doing, in fact, uh, he says uh, in that passage right there, so I continued, what you're doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in fear of God to avoid the reproach of our enemies? In fact, he was pointing to that moment because back in their history, when Moses was first setting down the laws for the, for the Israelites, one of the laws was that they, were, that they wouldn't loan each other money even with interest, let alone tax their fellow Jews to the point where they'd be struggling to, the, to where they were. And, and so he says, this is a God issue. It always is. And not only that, we're, what are you doing? You know, you're making people who don't even know our God, they're looking at us and saying, yeah, that's how you treat each other? So, so Nehemiah goes right to the source and confronts them. And, and fortunately, their hearts are ready to hear this. And, and so the leadership, the nobles, this is the way we responded. They, they said, we will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. So what could have been, because conflict can really tear things apart, families apart, churches apart, uh, businesses apart, what, what could have been the, the final blow that stopped the wall from being rebuilt, God intervened, and because of, of Nehemiah's uh, godliness, uh, things are back on track, and, and the wall gets finished. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's just amazing to watch that take place. In fact, it was such a remarkable thing. In fact, Mo- Nehemiah's leadership all the way through this process, uh, evidently word got back to, to the king of Persia about how well things were going because we find out that later on in the same chapter, chapter 5 says, Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I, I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah. So, so words got back, and Artaxerxes is saying, Hey, man, these things are going well under Nehemiah. And he makes him the government, governor of the land, the, the main leader of the whole land. But, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I got to the end of that verse, and it says, And neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. This is really interesting because I'm thinking, okay, what's going on there? Why did God want to make sure this was noted? And again, it's just, it's just the tremendous wisdom Nehemiah has. Because remember, what was the outcry? What was causing the conflict? Well, it was that they were being taxed, and and uh, to the point where and they had lost uh, land and they lost their kids. And, and now this was all coming back. But, but according to the law, evidently, the, the governor had a right, of course, and it makes sense, to, to collect taxes from the people so he could support himself and his fellow workers so that they could do the job of governing the land. But, you know, what always makes sense and what even might be fair, for a godly individual, that's really not the question. And obviously it's not for Nehemiah, and so he makes a decision. He will not receive the taxes. In fact, you find out, we're not going to read it, but he actually, from his own pocket, feeds the people that are working for him in the government. Over 100 people a day, you find out. It's a, an enormous amount that recorded. But he does that out of his own pocket because he knows right now the people don't need to be taxed. They need a chance to recover, and they need, a, they need to know that their governor is has a heart for them. And so just an amazing thing. And so I look at this man and this, this wisdom and this godliness and, and facing the critics and now uh, actually helping them resolve conflict. And I think, what is it that makes a man like that tick? And here it is. Out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. See, what made him tick was, and what was most important to him, the thing that drove him, the thing that answered his question, the thing that helped him make decisions, 
what was constantly on his heart was, God, what, what should I do here that shows that I revere you? That shows that the most important thing in my heart is to please you as my God. And that was his guiding, guiding life goal. And you know, that's, that's, you know, it's interesting. In Scripture, if you look through it, this is a phrase that appears frequently. And quite often it appears in interpersonal relationships. Because those are the tough ones. Those are the ones where the person you love or you're a friend or they know more about you than others. And, and so because of that, we're able to kind of you know, push the buttons more than everyone else. And, and, and so my response to my buttons being pushed tells an awful lot about where my heart is and who it's wrapped around. Because if it's wrapped around me, then I'm going to be on the defense. I'm going to be arguing back. I'm going to want to win the argument. And i got to tell you, one of my mother's sayings about me as a teenager was, you always have to have the last word. That tells you something. But if my heart is for God, I just I want to please you in the middle of this situation. I want to respond in a way that shows that my heart is for you. Then... It's amazing the difference that makes. You know, Paul talks in, in, in Ephesians, and he's talking to husband and wife, and he says, husband and wives, out of reverence for God, submit to one another. And then he goes on to say, husbands, this is the way you show your reverence for God. Wives, this is the way you show your reverence for God. And it shows up all over the place. And, and here was the key for this man. This is what was the thing that drove him forward, helped him make the decision. It was his heart was wrapped around pleasing God. That's the thing. So you think that if that's where your heart is, if you're an individual which your, your primary purpose and goal in how you live your life is I want to make sure that I represent my God well, that, that I please Him, that, he, that everybody, including myself, know that He is the one I revere. If you think if that's where your heart is, then things ought to fall into place once in a while, you know? probably ought to be a peace, pretty peaceful existence. But if you follow along in this story long enough, you know that that simply is not the case. That's not the way it goes. I mean, in fact, uh, sometimes it may, gets worse when we're trying to please God because we have an enemy who says, I'm going to put a stop to that. And, and that's exactly the case here as well. So, so right when you get to the point where, now th his response there brought unity, but right when you get to the point where you're thinking, finally, the, the wall's rebuilt, the source of contention that has constantly been in front of everybody it's done now we can move on and you expect it to say and they went home uh, gave up and gave home went home but that's not the case in fact here's what happens uh, uh, years ago i read uh, a book and i showed you that i'll show you go back to that in a moment but it, it is a, a book in fact i encourage you uh, as we're moving into fourth july if you if you want to read a tremendous book this it's called the light and the glory and and uh, it is a book about the, uh, the establishing of our country. And what, what I appreciate so much is, is it's from the perspective, it, and it's actually taken uh, from sources, from written sources during that period of time. But the things that the history books don't tell you, the things where God intervened and did things that were miraculous, this book does. It just has done a lot of research, and it's a wonderful book. So if you want to read something good as you, we walk through this special month uh, where we celebrate our independence, uh, let me point you to that book. But in that book, here's one of the stories. Uh, uh, it, was, it was a time when we were fighting for our independence, and the, the French had uh, 
uh, the Indians had, had joined with the French and they were fighting against our colonists to, to, to keep us under the ro- rule of uh, the, the, the country across the waters. And so these battles were going on. And there was one battle in, in particular that was a crucial battle. Now, our colonists had picked a guy by the name of George Washington to lead our armies, to be our, our main guy. And, and uh, if you know anything about George Washington, he, li- he liked to ride a horse in battle, a big white horse. So he's pretty easily identified. And, and there was this one battle that was crucial to what happened next as we were moving forward. And, and uh, so they, this battle went on all day long. It was, it was just... Uh, a vicious battle, a lot, a lot of lives lost on both sides. And at the end of the day, uh, as as George Washington and and his soldiers went back to their encampment uh, that evening, uh, George Washington went to take off. He had a coat on, and he went to take his coat off. And as he took it off, all of a sudden, you saw all these holes of light that were not supposed to be there. And what it was discovered that that there were there were it wasn't bullets, but the the uh, musket balls. There were seven times where the muskets had balls had got so close to him that they'd actually made holes in his coat without hitting him. Miraculously, just amazing thing. And but here's what where the what was very interesting. Years go by and and the war's over and, and things are settled and and actually a lot of a lot of the individuals and, and especially a lot of the Indians and things that were involved were fighting for the wrench. They all became friends and started working together with the colonists and. And there was one time where, where George Washington was actually visiting with one of the key leader Indians in, in that had been a part of those battles. And, and they got talking battles, and they got talking about that one battle. And, and George says, let me tell you, Washington, President Washington says, let me tell you about uh, what happened. And he, and he told the story about how at that night he took his coat off, and there were seven holes where, the, the, uh, where it had been pierced by the muzzle balls. And so the Indian says, well, let me tell you the rest of the story. He said that morning as we were gearing up to go out to fight you, uh, the, the, the leaders of the British Army, had they said, okay, here's the plan today. Cut off the head of the snake and the snake dies. We know that their main leader is this guy named George Washington. We know he rides a white horse. So here's, here's the plan. Anyone who gets in the vicinity of George Washington, your, your goal for the day is kill that man because if we can kill him, then we're going to get the victory. And so that's, they went in that day. Everybody was aiming for George Washington. But God miraculously took care of him, and we know how things go after that. Well, that seems to be the plan here. You know, here, here all along we thought it was the wall. That was the issue. But that really wasn't the issue. The enemies of the Jews and the enemies of Nehemiah, it wasn't about the wall. It was about their hatred for them, their, their hatred of everything they stood for. And and just because the wall was rebuilt, that wasn't going to stop. In fact, for Nehemiah, it was going to get better for the people because they had a wall protection. They were able to now start getting back to work in their fields and, and uh, uh, taking care of their finances and all the things that had been neglected while they were working together on this project. But it's going to get worse for Nehemiah because now the, the attack's going to get personal. They're going to go after him because cut the head of the snake off and you kill the snake. Samuel and Geshem sent this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. I don't know if the name of the plain gives it away, but Ono probably means Ono, as we're going to find out. Uh, that's just some of my, my weird sense of humor. I don't know. But, uh, but really, you look at the statement here and uh, you know they're, what they're asking here, it's, it doesn't seem like, it seems kind of innocent. 
come let us meet together? That sounds, you know, kind of sounds like if you're really thinking about it, this might be a good moment. They're kind of saying, hey, you know, the wall's rebuilt. We're, we're okay. We're, you know, let's move forward. Let's have a conversation. Let's bury the hatchet. You know, let's, let's move past this. We've had our differences, but now we realize God's behind you, and he wanted that wall rebuilt or else it wouldn't have been done in such a miraculous amount of time. So, so we're ready to say, let bygones be bygones. But that's not what's going on. For somehow, I don't know how, but uh, somehow Nehemiah knew that the really, really what they wanted to do was to get him a- away from everybody else and they were going to do him harm, possibly kill him. And so I don't know how he knew that, if it's just an intuition of God in his heart or if somebody gave him the word, but uh, he knew that the truth was they were coming, they were planning to do him ha- harm. And I, the, here's the thing, though. You know, you ever had somebody do that to you where, where they make this statement that sounds innocent, except you know, you're reading between the lines. You kind of know this is not an innocent statement, but you really, by the way they say it, you really can't accuse them of anything because they didn't really say anything wrong. You just kind of know from past experience that this is not a good idea, you know, and and uh, and that's kind of that kind of a situation. And so, again, Nehemiah's his wisdom, which we now know comes because of his reverence for God, is amazing. So I sent a messenger to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project. I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? This is an amazing answer because if you look at it, you know, there are so many things that, you know, he, he, it wasn't confrontational. Because he couldn't prove that what they were saying was confrontation. He couldn't really prove that they had motivations that he felt or knew that they had. So he, he, it wasn't confrontational. It wasn't an ac- accusing. He didn't accuse them of anything. It didn't question their motives, although he had a pretty good idea what their motives were. But it didn't question that. They didn't, he didn't, wasn't argumentative about that. It, in fact, it gave them the benefit of the doubt. They had the opportunity. If, if Let's say he was wrong. Let's say what he thought was the case was not the case. They really did have good motives. Well, this is a perfect opportunity for them to prove it. All they had to do was come back and say, oh, you're right. You're, you're doing an important thing, and so you tell us, where would you like to meet, and what time? What would work in your schedule best? Really an easy solution if their heart was right, but their heart wasn't. Uh, Nehemiah was right. They were out to do him harm one way or another. And, and so... His response, his careful response, uh, which would give him the opportunity to show where the heart really was, did. Because we go on and we find out that for four more times they sent the same message. Every time he gave him the same answer, never gave him. You can imagine, you know, about third time you're thinking, okay, I've about had it with these guys. I'm going to call them out. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He just maintains, no, I'm sorry. I'm really doing something important here, and I can't stop this to to meet with you right now. Four times, which begins to expose what's going on. But, but then uh, God has a way of, of showing you true colors. He has a way of exposing where our heart is. And for us as his children, it's so that we can heal and, and, and regroup and go the right direction. Uh, for those who are trying to do harm to his children, or uh, it's to protect us, but... So we find out, and, and I'm just going to read this, and you, want, you can read long if you want. It uh, goes on, chapter 6, verse 5. 
The fifth time, Samuel sent his aid to me with the same message. So again, same message. Meet us down in the valley of Ono. But they add something to this time. Sent the same message, in, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written. Now, first of all, let's start with this. What is an unsealed letter? Any ideas about that? It's a letter that you want everybody to see. You want people to read it. You, you know, it's interesting. Paul talks about in the New Testament, he would send his letters to the churches open so that they could pass it around with each other and because you wanted everybody to see it. And, and so that's what's going on here. They, they, want, this is not, they want it to be public. They want everybody to know what the letter says. And you'll find out why here. Let's go on because here's what the letter said. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true. <laughs> why that was that, I don't know. Geshem's already showed he's, doesn't, he's not a friend of Nehemiah. But Gesh, Geshem says it's true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to all these reports, you're about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There, there is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us confer together. <laughs> oh, man, they're out to get him. They're out to destroy him. So they sent this public letter around. And, you know, I, Dr. Getz, one of the commentaries I read regarding this, he says, here, here's, some th- here's some points that the letter does. They try to make it look like Nehemiah, they have Nehemiah's welfare at heart. You hear that? I'm just thinking of you, Nehemiah. I just, I don't want, you know, I don't, I'm, of course, I'm letting everybody see this, but we don't want you to get hurt here. And, you know, there's been reports. Yeah, you know, anytime you have somebody come to you and say uh, something like this, especially as a pastor, well, people are saying, you kind of like go, oh, come on, let's, you know, who? Well, people. Well, that's kind of what this is. Well, the report's out. The people are saying, Nehemiah, that you're trying to make yourself king, that that's the whole reason for the wall. We're not saying that, but people are saying that. And so they're trying to, they try to say, well, we're on your side here. You know, we're just looking out for your best interest. He goes on, gets, goes on, says, they were attempting to make Nehemiah afraid. You know, this has happened before. Remember, early on in this series, we're talking about the fact that another time, a guy named, by the name of Zerubbabel was sent back to actually start rebuilding the temple. And uh, the enemy sent rumors back to the king of, of Assyria to, in that time and said that same kind of thing. Rebels trying to set himself up as a leader. And the king of Persia sent down, same guy, as a matter of fact, said, said stop the work, stop everything. In fact, he made a commitment then that he would never allow the, the, the city to be rebuilt. Uh, now, God moved in his heart and changed that for Nehemiah. So, so this has happened before. So they're trying to get Nehemiah, you know, this rumor gets back to the king, you're in trouble. And so they're trying to make him fearful so that he will stop, so that he'll give up, uh, goes on. They included an element of truth. It is true they're rebuilding the wall. <laughs> That's, there, there is some truth to it. Uh, you know, if the king had sent somebody down and said, hey, go down and see that, they're, they're rebuilding the wall. And then number four, they put pressure on Nehemiah to fall back to their previous request. And after all that, they get right back. So now, like we said before, come on and meet with us so we can figure this out with you. Because, you know, we're, we're just trying to protect you. Amazing amazing they're they're just they never quit and and now they're going after nehemiah himself and i'm thinking boy how disheartening would that be when you know your motivation is right when you know you're trying to do the right thing you're not trying to hurt anybody you're not trying to 
push yourself into power and leadership. In fact, one of the things they said is you've actually, you're actually paying prophets to go around to people and say, hey, God's chosen him as the king. That, that wasn't true. But they sent an open letter. You know, there's a thing about rumors. Just, just having somebody say it, somebody's going to believe it. And, and they know that when they sent that open letter around. So this, this has got to be a, a very troubling time for, for Nehemiah uh, as he knows he's trying to do a good thing and yet it's being played out like it's a bad thing. You know, there's really nothing quite as hard on us, I don't think, as when our reputation is questioned or worse, uh, is accused which is exactly what's happening here for, for Nehemiah. Nehemiah replied, so I sent him this reply, nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. They're, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be complete. I got to tell you, when I read that, he, he said, I sent this reply, nothing like what you're saying is happening. <laughs> Here was my response, is that all? These guys, they're going to, they want to kill you. Lisa, they want to harm you. They're, they, they just spread this terrible, ugly stuff about you, and all you're doing is, you just send back word, no, didn't say it. It's not true. You know, to, to me, it's kind of like, oh, man, you, got, you know, and that's what we do. We get in those situations where we, I got to defend myself. Do you hear what they're saying? You know, I, uh, I was uh, uh, reading, uh, you remember uh, Chuck Colson, some of you do, back in Richard Nixon days, and uh, the hatchet man for Richard Nixon, did some, did, this guy did some bad things, and the whole Watergate conspiracy, and not even that, it's just, he was kind of, Nixon wanted something done, he'd say, Colson, do this, and he did it, no questions asked, and, and he ended up, remember, he ended up in prison, and right before he went to prison, I don't know if you've ever read his story, his book, Born Again, right before he went to prison, uh, actually, one of his uh, uh, political op uh, opponents came to him, and they they had they were friends, you know, kind of cross the aisle friends. And but his his uh, uh, pr this opponent came to him and says, "Let me tell you what you need." And they actually led him to Christ. An amazing thing. And then then Colson ends up in in jail uh, after that because of the things he had been involved in. And, and it's interesting. Uh, finally, he served his time, and he was and he had just gotten out, you know, and, and all that time he was studying the Word of God and, and growing in his faith, and so he'd just gotten out of prison, and right as he got out, in fact, I think the same week he got out of prison, there was a, a one of the major papers put out a story, and in the story it alluded to the fact that uh, Chuck Colson had been involved in a conspiracy to, mu to murder uh, another reporter, and so so that was the what was put out he's been involved in not not just bad things but now he's actually we we actually it there seems to be evidence of the fact that he's actually been involved in trying to murder a reporter that he didn't like what he was saying that wasn't true it was it was a false report but you can imagine you're just you know you're just getting out of prison it's not a good time to have that happen and, and he's a, he's a brand new believer. He's just he hasn't been following God very long, and so he's just getting. And his he he says that his knee jerk reaction was, "I know how to handle these kind of things. I still have connections. I will take care of this, this these the people involved in this." And he says that that was his first reaction. And then he thought, "No, I I'm I follow God now. I'm not sure that's what I'm supposed to do." So he asked some of his fellow believers, some of the more mature ones, 
uh, including the one that led in the Lord. He says, what do you guys think I should do? And, and, and what they said to him is, Chuck, anything you do in your defense would simply make you feel guilty. That's the way it works. You ever had that happen? You know, you try to defend yourself, and the more you talk, the more you're, you can tell. They're just thinking, oh, yeah, that's, and that's the reality. That's usually the way it works. You, and, and so they said, don't defend yourself. Just trust God. And, and here's what Colson writes in, in Born Again. He says, the minute Harold spoke, I knew the answer. I'd been reading the Beatitudes only a week before, and Jesus had told his disciples, blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Did this statement apply to me? Was I being falsely accused because of my stand for Christ? Uh, Far from it. Still, as a Christian, shouldn't my response to unfair accusations be the same? While I wasn't quite able to rejoice and be glad in the situation, I did turn it over to the Lord. It was a terrifying experience to be associated with a murder plot, yet I see now that this episode was used to prepare me for even more difficult testings in the day ahead. So here's Nehemiah trying to do the right thing, serving God faithfully, seeing him accomplish, God's accomplished great things, the, the wall's been rebuilt, and, and, and it looks like finally, finally, maybe they're past this, and then the attacks come to him personally. They come after him, saying terrible things, things that even if they didn't take his life, could cost his life if the king of Persia decided to believe it. And, and, and all this is coming down on him. And what does Nehemiah do? what he always does. I prayed. Now, remember he said earlier they're trying to make me lose, make us lose strength in our hands to do this job. Was it working? Yeah. And that's what he prays, Lord, strengthen my hands. It's getting to him. It's, it's, it's not like, I love the word of God. It, it, you know, it's not like, oh, this didn't bother me. No, it bothered him. He, he had second thoughts. He was thinking, I, I don't know if I can go on and and so this man whose heart for God turns to that God and says, God, strengthen my hands. I don't know what you're going through right here today. Uh, maybe it's not a, a weak thing. Maybe it's been going on for a while. You're in a battlefield. It's, it's conflict. There's pressure. There's things been said that are not true. You know they're not true. And, and everything in, inside of you says you need to defend yourself. You need to r- attack back. You need to... Uh, out of reverence for God, turn to God. Go to Him. Let Him fight your battles. Let Him take care of you because He is faithful. Let's pray. Thanks, Father. You know our hearts. You know our instinct and in those times when folks are coming after us, especially when we know it's not fair, we know it's not right, we know it's not true. And our instinct is to do battle, to fight back, to lash back, to defend at the very least, and yet so often that just doesn't do a thing. 
First of all, I pray that for every one of us in this room that has a relationship with you, that our heart is wrapped in you. Our, our, everything we're about is, Lord, I want to please you. I want to respond to this in a way that shows that my heart is about you. For those who are here today that may not have that relationship, I, I, I hope they, they hear in the midst of this that, that God is for them, that he, that you love them, that you want them to be part of your family in relationship with you. That's why your son came and went to the cross, to take away that guilt and that sin that's separating us from you so that you could offer us forgiveness as a gift. We don't pay for it. We simply accept it. And so, Lord, if there's someone in this room that needs to make that decision, I pray that today they will so that they'll know you as not just a distant God, but as their Heavenly Father. And for my friends, my family, who find themselves in the midst of a painful time, that will turn to you, the one who is faithful, the one who gives strength. Thanks, Father. Thanks for your word. Pray these things in your son's name.